Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Lickin' on Lending, a weekly mortgage market update providing up-to-the-minute information on interest rates, loan programs, and hot industry news relating to the mortgage industry. Brought to you by Mortgage Banking Solutions, enabling executives to take their business to the next level. To participate in today's program, our guest call-in line is 646-716-4972. And now, here is your host of Lickin' on Lending, David Lickin'. Good to have you with us, everybody. Again, uh, get that music so I'm not competing with the music. It's Monday, June 15th, for those of you that are listening to this on a downloaded basis. It's good to have you with us. We appreciate you joining in on today's uh, broadcast. Today's hot topic is about community lenders, community independent mortgage bankers. We have as our special guest the executive director of CLMA, which is the Community Lenders Mortgage Association, and it's Glenn Corso, an old friend that's been with us for years. He's not old. He's just a friend that's been along around for a long time. That can be taken several ways, but we're glad to have Glenn back on the broadcast, and uh, we'll be talking about the what does it look like as independent mortgage bankers. A lot of people are moving that direction, so you're going to get some insights into what's happening there and um, I think you're going to find that part of the broadcast very, very interesting, especially if you are an independent mortgage banker or thinking about moving that direction. Be sure to tune into the Hot Topic segment here in about a half an hour. This broadcast, of course, is created by Mortgage Professionals. We're here for Mortgage Professionals and we're the proud recipient of the Progress and in Lending Innovation Award. We say a special thank you to our sponsors, United Guarantee, who just happens to be, again, the number one MI industry leader for the fourth consecutive year. And I guarantee has a performance premium program that is the mortgage industry's uh, only MI pricing that is truly risk-based, surpassing simple tier-based systems and broadening options for lenders and their customers. Performance premium has the power to give you a wider credit box. In other words, it's a, it lets United Guarantee uh, consider borrowers and therefore you a wider range of things like property, things like second homes that are typically difficult to insure. Also, it gives you a chance to reward stronger borrowers, those borrowers that have handled their finances very well, and an opportunity to close more loans, which is ultimately what we're here. There, You're here in the business to do. They're here in the business to help you. So check it out. Go for more information about this performance premium program. Go to www.ugcorp.com. And also, contact or contact your sales representative, as they are such a great group of folks. I've enjoyed all of my meetings with the UG or United Guarantee Salesforce. Great group of people. Mortgage insurance is that is underwritten by United Guarantee Insurance Company. So that's who does the actual underwriting. Also, a special thank you goes to Brent Amler and our team and friends there at uh, Velma Virtual Electronic electronic marketing company virtual electronic marketing company that's what velma stands for they do a great job of getting your message out in a timely basis and they really help you craft it in such a way that really has the greatest impact it's not just give me your stuff and stick it into a you know broadcast machine it really they really take time to help you craft your message it's like a good book editor when you have a good book editor you know i was listening to a podcast over the weekend and the importance of having a good editor is just really important you can have if there's some people who will publish anything you do that's not what these guys are velma takes time to help you edit and get your message out also a special thank you to alice joe and andy and all the regulars that are part of the broadcast sam garcia and for being a part of the broadcast and making this the number one listen-to podcast broadcast in the industry. Joe Farr, good to have you with us as always. You're so good, morning, good to Dave. be here. Each good morning, good morning. Let's see what's in the – I'm looking at your screens right now, and it uh, looks like we've got uh, some improvement here. What's, uh, what's well, we're, I, thought, yeah, I was we're, thinking – go ahead. Go ahead. I was just going to say, say we're with up. Greece, we're, we're talking over. That's the joys of all these voice over IP systems. So I apologize. I'll finish my thought. I thought with Greece, you know, uh, you know, falling out, the conversations that we might have a different reaction today. So it'd be interesting to get you. Well, thoughts. actually, the reaction is pretty much like uh, one would expect when there's uh, uh, an increasing uncertainty. Uh, stocks, the, mm-hmm. the the riskier assets have fallen. The Dow's been down a hundred points or so. Uh, at one point, down more than that. And MBS prices and Treasury yields, uh, or Treasury prices yields, have fallen. 
So, uh, you know, that's kind of the, the shift out of uh, risky assets into safe assets, and that's the kind of thing that uh, uh, would follow the, the uncertainty with Greece walking out of the negotiations uh, over the weekend. So uh, that part's kind of as expected. Of course, it hadn't been a big reaction. I think the big reaction um, uh, would come if it were more than Greece. I think people are beginning to kind of question, is this – that big an event, you know, even even Greece itself is mm-hmm. saying, you know, the, this isn't that big of an event, but uh, it's still one that's caused the market to be focused on it and uh, and has created reactions. In fact, last week, much of what happened during the w- week uh, came as a result of switching headlines. One time they're making progress and 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 a uh, an agreement may be coming, and and then the next somebody, uh, the IMF, is walking out of the negotiation. So it's uh, right. it, it really has had the attention of the market, and you know it's not the kind of thing that you see on a calendar or you can pay attention to because something's going to happen at this time on this day. Uh, but it's been important to um, you know be aware of it and to to understand what impact uh, the the changing positions is having on the market. Yes, it is encouraging to see that it has uh, uh, it hasn't had a negative reaction. And as you said, it in the big scheme of things, a country the size of Oklahoma, you would not think it's going to have a big deal. But I think where the bigger deal comes is there's so many other countries that are right behind Greece. That's the one that's grabbing the attention. But we've got a lot of other countries, and that's the the sum total of them could have a bit of an impact. But that's not the only thing we're looking at. Let's cover <laughs> the rest of what's on your radar screen. Well, the, the economic data that came out this morning, industrial production was a little bit uh, short of expectations, uh, better than last month, but short of expectations. The New York State Empire Index was uh, a little disappointing, but the home builders. Uh, survey showed uh, a nice improvement in confidence on the home building side, and uh, it'll be interesting to see if tomorrow's housing starts uh, shows the same thing. But uh, yes, on the day we're up four. Now we've been up as high as eight early in the day, and we've been as low as uh, uh, break even from where we started the day or where we ended the day on Friday. So we're right in the middle of that range right now. And then, uh, uh, you know, talk, the thing about um, last week, as I mentioned, it, it, there was a lot of negative reaction when, when headlines were favorable for Greece. There was uh, favorable reactions when the IMF walked out of the negotiations. So that was a big driver. The economic data last week was really pretty good. Uh, the JOLTS report uh, had the highest number of job openings since 2000. Uh, yeah, remain high. Yeah, so um, you know it, it kind of confirmed the Friday before's non-farm payrolls report that that the uh, labor market seems to be improving nicely. Retail sales were uh, up from the month before, uh, about as what was expected. In fact, there was a little undercurrent that people were concerned that retail sales were really going to be big. And if they had been, we would have seen uh, uh, another negative reaction like we had with the good jobs report and uh, and the good jolts report. But, uh, you know, it came in as expected, and, and quite frankly, I think that was a bit of, re- of relief for people. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, for the, for the week last week, uh, MBS prices um, were, uh, uh, you know, end of the week a little better in spite of what Freddie Mac reported. And um, uh, much of that gain came, uh, the improvement came on Thursday, as I mentioned, when the IMF walked out of the uh, negotiations. So, uh, and then looking ahead to this week, Dave, uh, it's going to be more of the Greece story because there is another meeting scheduled for Thursday between Greece yes. and your uh, finance ministers. So we'll see if they come up uh, with, um, you know, if they come up with something favorable, it might reverse uh yeah, a little of what we saw today, and then uh, the Fed meetings next uh, is this Wednesday. Uh, the statements to be released at two, and then this is the press conference meeting, so that'll it, start at two thirty. Uh, it'll be interesting to see if, if you know, how the Fed addresses what's been pretty good economic data here lately. Uh, mm-hmm. See w- what they say about Greece. Um, and uh you know they've been asked by the both the IMF and the World Bank now have come out to say uh 
we would ask you not to raise the Fed funds yes. rate. Don't start <laughs> raising the Fed funds rate until uh, after this year. And uh, I don't think that they're going to abide by that request, but uh, it, at least it's out there on the table. We'll see if they mention that. The economic data to come out this week, uh, again, I mentioned housing starts tomorrow, CPI on Thursday, along with leading indicators in the Philly Fed. And then uh, and then the big uh, Eurozone uh, Greece uh, meeting on Thursday. Summit on meeting on Thursday. That's yep. it. That, that's that's it. It'll be an interesting week. Of course, anytime the Fed speak, I'm probably most interested in the press conference that they have on 2:30 uh, to really see what they they say or what the Fed statement says at two, and what they say and add if they add anything to it to 2:30. Just because you know we have had some you know the better expected economic data, um, so we'll see if that is in fact going to accelerate the time frames, but. How much of a voice does IMF have with them? Hmm, very interesting. I don't know. Yeah. It's, I don't know. Well, you you report it, but whatever's happening, you can get the information and the impact it's having on mortgage rates. I use it. I have it up all the time, folks. It is probably one of the best tools I can for kind of getting a feel for where things are headed and what's causing it. Joe and his comments, the commentary that he puts out is just excellent. Folks, we're going to be right back after this brief break. Looking for that competitive edge? MBS Quoteline delivers live market coverage for originators. Get up-to-the-minute mortgage market news and analysis as events occur. Get MBS prices as trades happen. Straight to your computer, email, cell phone, or PDA. Know in advance when your investors will reprice. Make better lock float decisions and increase your income. Be the expert your clients expect. And know what's moving interest rates right now, tomorrow, and beyond. MBS Quoteline. Delivering live market coverage for originators. Learn more about MBS Quoteline today at MBS. MBSQuoteLine.com. MBSQuoteLine.com. 646-716-4972. The Lickin' on Lending Show is back. Here is your host, David Lickin. Well, it's good to have you with us, everybody. Again, we normally would be hiring from Paul Mahler right now, but Paul is out, and I don't know if he's on vacation traveling a business, but I'm over at his website, www.imfnews.com. Yeah encourage you to check it out imfnews.com some good articles about their originations for va mortgage have increased in the first quarter also cfpb's uh trid as seen as having less of an impact on origination volumes is what you know then the qm implementation that was interesting thomas wrestler's article there but check out a lot of good information in this um news um uh, blog that they put out or you know, this this newsletter. It's really good, and you can get it emailed to your office. Check it out at www.imfnews.com. Alice Alvey, I was excited to hear that you're excited to have Glenn Corso back. We both enjoy hearing his thoughts and perspective, and uh, really appreciate you being a part of the broadcast as well. We get to hear you every week. It's so good. Oh, well, thank you. Except for next week, you know, just preparing everybody. I am going to be here I was just going to tell everybody, next- yeah, I was, yeah, I was just going to jump in because you're gone for a couple of weeks, taking a vacation, going to uh, some fun, gorgeous places. So, way to go. Yeah, thank you. Um, so, but, you know, in the meantime, we still have to talk mortgage regulations, and I am making sure that we're watching a little bit here. There hasn't been any movement on House Bill 2213. So this is a bill that would prohibit until January 1st any enforcement action against any person against in the TRID rule. So as you know, the CFPB has given us some kind of, you know, um, I don't know what you would call it. I don't have a good word for it. They've given us some indication that if you're following the TRID policies in good faith and you've had your, you know, uh, you've executed this as best you can and maybe you didn't get quite something right, I wouldn't say missing the three-day rule would be something that would be okay, but there's some other minor issue in the process, maybe the way a fee has been placed. And, And these are just my rough examples, not anything that they've given specifically. But the idea is something not on the major side, that the CFPB might, if they saw good faith, not necessarily have such a large fine. Um, so there's this little bit of a unknown, not clearly defined grace period um, that they've issued. That doesn't stop the lawyers. So that's where watching this House bill is important because we would, it would be helpful 
and I actually, I guess, would have to ask a lawyer if they feel <laughs> a bill. If we can get this turned into law, then maybe we might get a true, at least, um, window of a grace period from any enforcement actions. Um, so there is not a Senate companion bill to this. Um, that's usually another indication that we're starting to get something that is at least agreed to um, on both sides of the uh, the legislative branches there on those two sides, and we'll watch that. So no, no big movement there. Certainly, um, we are watching um, Senate Bill 351 and House Bill uh, 1002. Uh, both houses do have that they're looking to get mortgage debt forgiveness um, still on the plate, which, of course, as you may be aware, when you can, um, if the bank forgives a portion of your debt, trying to retain that that's non-taxable. Um, as the foreclosure numbers continue to drop, I'm not so sure how much um, motivation there is, but certainly in a lot of states, foreclosures are still a big issue, so that may still have some legs. Um, the other thing, too, truly, that I guess I want to help folks with is we are talking a lot about TRID implementation and where you should be. Uh, we're actually going to be offering a free webinar coming up on this subject. Mm. So bring that up, Dave. Um, Good. We are looking to be able to offer this on July 15th. Um, it'll be July 15th at 11 o'clock. And Basically, what we want to try and help people with is, you know, similar information that, to what I discussed last week at the Indiana Mortgage Bankers Association. Where are you at today? Where should you be at? Uh, what are still some of the sticking points in, within the rule? And really, how do you measure up? And then we also are giving some um, really good tips on, you know, job impact at the loan officer, processor, um, closer, disclosure desk level. So just want to throw that in there as folks are looking to try and See, am I going to make it? Uh, we're going to be offering this to, to help you uh, define if you are measuring up. Uh, so in the world of TLRSP integrated disclosures, don't forget we have FHA changes that will be going into effect on September 15th. And uh, probably one of the biggest issues there is going to be the change in the pre-funding quality assurance that you need to take a look at. Make sure you have a separate operational reporting line for this group. Oftentimes they report internally to operations, and FHA is pretty clear that needs a separate reporting line staying and collaborating with quality control sides. Uh, so several things within FHA's pre-funding quality assurance you want to take a look at, as well as the long list of other FHA changes that will go into effect for applications, I should say case numbers on September 15th. Case numbers. So that's yep. My, yep, that's my that's my update for you, Dave, and uh, back to you. Good job. Good job, Alice. Always so much you bring our back to our members. Here's something I want to underscore that you said to help our listeners. That is why we do this broadcast, and I love Alice's heart to help. Ultimately, we're a public service back to you, the listeners, and it's always so much fun to have people of like-mindedness helping in on that process. Thank you, Alice. Appreciate it. Stay tuned. We're going to be right back after this brief break. If you have questions about mortgage regulations, Indicom Mortgage U has free answers. If you need ideas about how to reinvent your organization, Indicom Mortgage U will share great ideas. When you need help at any step of the loan process, give us a call or send an email. The Indicom team of experts have been helping mortgage players from origination through servicing for over 30 years. Your success is our focus. Whether it's a quick question or long-term support, portfolio, conventional, or government lending, it's a competitive market. So let Indicom Mortgage U give you the edge. Yeah, good ad, good ad, Alice. That's an excellent ad. I appreciate that. Help you give you an edge. If you want an edge, get a hold of Alice Alvey, mortgage u dot com or Indicom. Good stuff. Um, I've got Sam Garcia on the line. I always love having Sam here giving us an update. Uh, by the way, before we get to Sam real quickly, I just want to say Andy Schelt is also the profit doctor, but he's also the audio engineer. Uh, he's always the one that's bringing up to my attention. And a lot of you are not aware of this, but we have all these. It, this is just a technology wonder for me, the fact that we broadcast over the Internet through a voiceover IP. We're all dialing in typically these days with voiceover IP systems. How this all works with the packets and everything flying all around the world is nothing less than American. Amazing. And so we try to identify static when we have it, identify why there's delays. It's sometimes we talk over each other because it's 
not intended to be rude. It just happens because of all the technology pieces. There are lags, and that's what it is. So anyway, it's good to have you with us, Sam Garcia. What you have, by the way, I want to tell everybody, www.mortgagedaily.com. Great stories, lots of information. So seven-year delinquencies are now at a seven-year low. That's encouraging. Yeah, uh, CoreLogic released some data last week indicates that a 90-day delinquency on home loans dropped 30 basis points from March to April. So that was the lowest rate they've uh, had since February 2008, uh, pre-crisis, at least pre-September crisis, if you know what I'm saying. Um, yeah. We saw we had a report out last week that uh, in April, retail home equity conversion mortgages that were endorsed by the Federal Housing Administration were down 7% uh, from March. But on the wholesale hmm. side, originations actually moved up 2%. So it's a one-month blip. We'll see if it's a trend. Um, over at Quicken Loans, uh, they were, they told us last week that they are expanding an off or they expanded an office in Scottsdale, Arizona, and as a result, with that extra space, they're uh, actually recruiting 250 new employees to work at that facility. And of course, they've been uh, growing quite a bit over the last couple of years, originations, servicing, and employees. I think they uh, top 12,000 employees at this point. And, of course, uh, everyone probably is pulling for the Cavs because uh, quick and founder Dan Gilbert is the owner of that team. So we'll see where that winds up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, over at uh, HUD, uh, we got a report last week that Brad Hoover, and I hope I pronounced that right, he was the CFO, has passed away. He passed away last week. Um, he was actually confirmed by the Senate in September 2014, so he wasn't there that long. But during the 1980s and 90s, he'd already been in Washington, and he actually held CFO and chief operating positions uh, over at two major agencies within the Commerce Department. Um, we, we had a report last week on, uh, from NAREP, or the National Association of Hispanic Real Estate Professionals, and what was interesting is it identified uh, the 250 uh, biggest Latino loan originators. Um, there were about 800 that were nominated, and more than two-thirds of the 250 people that made the top list worked at Wells Fargo. Um, and then the Yeah, it is, isn't it? And then uh, over at the American Bankers Association, they put out a report last week. Uh, basically, they surveyed 182 banks, and uh, they found that BB&T and U.S. Bank tied for being the biggest aggregator of mortgages uh, originated by banks, uh, at least the ones that were surveyed. And Another finding was that um, these banks said that non-QM originations were six, were just 10% of their most recent year's originations versus 16% a year earlier. So we saw a decline in the uh, share of non-QM business over at those places. And uh, those are our highlights there. Good, interesting story uh, about the non-QM uh, or the QM non-QM originations being off. That's um, I think banks are just getting leery, more leery of being sued, and the the legal liability that goes with the non-QM non-agency uh, product is just continues to seem to grow. I want, I'd love to get some insights as to why that was. Maybe we'll get the profit doctor to give us his insights on that here in just a minute. And you know, I'm, I might expect of... that uh, maybe the refinance activity, you know, might drown out yes. some non-QM activity. So as that yes. starts to yeah. subside, maybe we see it pick up when they're a little more desperate for new business. That's a good point, Sam. Excellent point. Folks, check it out, MortgageDaily.com. Sam Garcia, good to have you with us. You can reach Sam at 214-521-1300. Go to his website, check it out, sign up, and uh, you'll be happy that you did. Lots of good information there. Sam, thanks so much for being being part of the broadcast. Love having you, man. Have a good one. Profit Doctor, so uh, what's your assessment why uh, the the non-QM has dropped off a little bit. You know, you may, Sam Brent raises a good point, Andy, about the fact that, you know, refis have been up. Maybe it's a result of that. We got diluted. The numbers really, the actual units hasn't dropped, but as a percentage overall percentage it is. Your thoughts? Well, I think the non-QM is dropping some because, uh, well, at least in the regulated world, what I'm seeing that people are preparing for FDIC exams is they don't know what the uh, results are going to be. They, they don't, they're not sure what the examiners are going to say. I mean, if you think about it, 
the, the biggest difference being QM, non-QM, is you lose some of your safe harbor and in, in foreclosure and in default. But then there's just an uncertainty around it still. That's what I'm seeing. Yeah. I'm seeing folks move move back to QM only uh, because they just want to stay safe. And until we've got a little bit more traction um, moving forward, I think we're going to see people, you know, sticking to a safer a safer harbor. And you know, what's funny about that, though, is is we talk about, in my opinion, people, some people are, are sticking to safe harbor. We also have at the same time this this move in the industry that I'm seeing periodically. That it, it's it's kind of like I know Dave last week Les Parker talked about the spaghetti westerns, and I know you've been doing yeah. some reading and studying on on westerns. And you know, like if you think about in the days of of Wild Wild West, and and you had these trains moving across the country, across the open prairie, and sometimes there'd be a herd of buffalo on the track, or there'd be a whole herd of sheep on the track. You know, those or cattle, those 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 cattle guards in the front of the train were put there because they needed them to be there to move the stuff out of the way. And so, the thing about it is, just because you're just like everybody else means that like if you're a herd of sheep on a train track and a train comes through you're still going to get hit everybody's going to get yeah. hit and so just because you're in the herd doesn't mean you're safe and so when the CFPB train comes through and hits the herd of sheep because we're all there together we all get hit so the the, the whole notion that because we're as bad as everybody else we're safe from getting regulatory findings i think is a very dangerous place to be yeah. So I think I think we need to have our compliance management system uh, vision in place, and that's not just following TRID. It's it's everything from IT through new programs, new products. It's how it's deployed. It's not a computer system. It's a it's a system to manage the entire business from a compliance perspective. And so I think we need to we need to do that. What's what's going to end up happening? I'll predict is that. Everybody's kind of sitting around. We're all the sheep sitting on the track waiting to get hit by the train. There is going to be a public execution by the CFPB yes. of somebody because they didn't do the compliance management stuff like they're supposed to. They didn't have their third-party management in place, blah, blah, blah. And once we have a public execution, then everybody's going to go, oh, you mean it does apply to me? I do have to do these <laughs> CFP mandates that have been out for three years even though I don't want to. So that's the – that's the deal. Is let's let's deal with change. Let's accept the change. Let's have a change management process. Implement the compliance, and we've got to also adjust our margins to accommodate the increasing compliance cost. So it's like let's let's end the gas station wars, and everybody add some profit, some uh, profit recovery, some additional margin to cover our increasing cost, so that we can. Maintain our margins, have a profitable, profitable and compliant industry all at the same time. So there you go, Dave. There's my, my two Good cents stuff. for today. Good two cents, excellent. And I think there's just uh, well, we're going to get into that with the, the the independent mortgage bankers. We're both seeing trends where the larger institutions are definitely all over this, and then but we also are we seeing that same trend with the smaller independents. So we're going to have Glenn Corso on in just a minute to talk about that. Thank you, Prophet Doctor. Appreciate you being here. Again, I also say thank you for being the sound engineer trying to figure out where all the static comes from and all the different times we can. It's the mystery out there of how that all works. But listeners, so glad you're here with us. We're going to be back in just a minute with Glenn Corso, who is the executive director of the Community Mortgage Lenders Association, 60 members strong, and I can't wait to get his perspective on all that's going on and that part of the market. Folks, we'll be right back after this brief break. Mortgage Banking Solutions is the preeminent management consulting firm to the residential mortgage lending industry. No other firm in the U.S. offers the menu of services or the level of expertise to the industry. If you're looking for help converting from best efforts to hedging or need help with bookkeeping to know your profit per loan, if you are interested in making the transition from broker to banker, or if you just need a roadmap for success, Mortgage Banking Solutions' primary focus is to enable executives to take their business to the next level. And guide 
guide them down a path towards success and profitability. With over 300 combined years of experience in all facets of mortgage lending, the Mortgage Banking Solutions team of professionals has the expertise and know-how to help you accomplish your goals. New warehouse lines of credit, broker-to-banker transitions, transitioning to hedging, financial and accounting services, or meeting your capitalization needs. If you need help with these or any other aspects of your business, please contact a Mortgage Banking Solutions sales team to see how we can help you at 512-977-9900. It's 512-977-9900. Mortgage Banking Solutions, enabling executives to take their business to the next level. Appreciate you tuning in with us, everybody. It is a real honor and privilege to bring back someone who has been on the broadcast numerous times. He's a good friend of mine. I've had over 30 years. Hard to believe. Glenn, you and I have known each other that long. Glenn is the executive director of the Community Mortgage Lenders Association. It's based in uh, the Washington, D.C. area, and uh, it's actually on K Street. And so, as every most associations are located there, but Glenn has been a, a personal friend and a business friend for multiple decades here, and I'm very excited about his role and as the executive director there at the Community Lenders Association. Welcome to the broadcast, Glenn. Oh, Dave, thank you very much, and and thank you so much for having me back. It's a real, real pleasure to be here. It is an honor, and we appreciate what you're doing there and your role working with community mortgage lenders. But for those that don't know much about the community mortgage lenders, CMLA, um, tell us a little bit about the organization, how many members you have, if you could just give us a little update to get familiar, oh, sure. so Happy people to. get familiar with what you're doing. Yeah. So it's the uh, Community Mortgage Lenders of America. It was founded back in 2009. And for those of you who are familiar with the Lenders One co-op, it was originally housed inside of the Lenders One co-op, mm, but, uh, but yeah. about uh, four years ago, it was uh, spun out, and it's now a standalone uh, group. It's its own trade association, and uh, we have both uh, independent mortgage bankers and community banks as members. We have about 60 companies that are members, and the average the average member originates somewhere around 600 to 750 million uh, a year in loans, pretty evenly split between conventional and uh, FHA VA. Well, I also a lot of people say, well, it doesn't the MBA have some similar like that? In fact, a mutual friend, uh, our mutual friend, your old business partner, uh, Pete Mills, heads that up. And I mean, this is a nice compliment, and I want to stress to our audience that uh, Glenn works very closely with Pete. There's a very good relationship between the two. And the two organizations, and I applaud you, Glenn, for that. You and Pete have been friends and partners for a long, long time, and I applaud the partnership that you have. While, while you could be viewed as competing entities, it's really we, we can't have enough feet on the street in Washington D.C. trying to represent the issues rep, uh, that are important to the mortgage lenders. So kudos for how you've worked that out with the MBA, specifically with Pete. So congratulations on that. I want to get into the starting off, Glenn, with just a real overview of what you see as an outlook for independent mortgage lenders, for community lenders, whether they're independent mortgage bankers or, or community banking, uh, community bankers in the marketplace. Give us an overview. Is, is this the best of times or worst of times, or how would you characterize it? <laughs> well, actually, I'd characterize it as both. Uh, it's it's the best of times and, and to some extent, the, the worst of times. Let, let me start with the best. I'm a like you, Dave, I'm a relatively optimistic person, so I always like to give the good news first, and and then <laughs> yeah. uh, and then perhaps the not so good news. The the good news is that we have, uh, a, a, as you and your colleagues are aware, a confluence uh, of uh, several different factors that have just sort of come together to create very favorable conditions for independent uh, lenders. The uh, the first is, of course, the Basel III rule with its uh, capital hit on mortgage servicing for the the big banks that's causing them to de-emphasize their activities uh, in that sector the uh the the second thing then and it's and it's a real big one is the fact that uh, several years ago uh, while they're still in conservatorship Fannie and Freddie decided to eliminate the big discounts they gave on guarantee fees to the uh, largest lenders in the country 
And by making a level playing field, it's really allowed independent uh, uh, mortgage lenders, bank, community banks and mortgage bankers alike, to be able to compete directly and go head-to-head with the Wells Fargo's of the world. And uh, and uh, that elimination of that pri- pricing uh, differential has really helped uh, the independent sector uh, quite a bit. Uh, the the other hmm. thing which we've seen is the big headlines and the regulatory actions, of course, that initially targeted all of the big lenders, the Wells Fargo and Chases of the world, that has caused them to mm, take a step or two back, perhaps from from mortgage lending, as they see the uh, the costs of those regulatory and and litigation actions pile up against them. So all of that uh, all of that has worked in favor of the uh, independent lenders for sure. When you look at the overall earnings, is, are they going up or are they going down uh, as it relates to profitability for independents? Well, you know the 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 MBA figures for the first quarter were were really interesting and positive. The uh, the per loan profits for independent lenders were, uh, according to the MBA, nearly fifteen hundred dollars alone. So, and and market share, according to Inside Mortgage Finance, for the independent sector, was uh, was close to forty percent. So, both of those are very strong and positive indicators for independent lenders. So true. I want to toss the mic over to Andy Shell. Andy. Well, hey, Glenn. Thanks for being on the on the show today. It's it's great to hear about the the successes that we're hearing uh, from the independent mortgage bankers. So as we as we start talking about these various things like market share and and the driving factors that help independent mortgage lenders, could you start by outlining some of the the top three or four, not your top ten list yet, but just your top three or four of these elements that are driving success among independent mortgage bankers well i i think uh, i think there's uh, uh, s- several things i think first of all we we've seen that uh, the fha program after going through a really rough patch has uh, has come back pretty well and as you know uh, fha lending is a real staple for independent community lenders so the fact that the FHA program is working well has really helped them uh, helped them quite a bit. Uh, there's been a surge in VA lending too. You know, all of those folks who really went through and cycled through the armed services in in all these various uh, military actions we've had in Iraq and Afghanistan, et cetera, they're uh, they're now uh, coming home uh, and they're and they're buying houses. And it's caused a real strong surge in VA activity, which again is a staple of independent community uh, community lenders. So that that's been uh, that's been another uh, very positive uh, very positive factor. So then, this is Joe Farr. Um, you know, we've gone on the positive side. So what are some of the some of the things that are hurting independent mortgage bankers right now? Well, Joe. Uh, you know you're 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 absolutely right uh, best of times and worst of times and uh i've got to say it's regulatory compliance costs um and uh and we we've done some survey work among our own uh, our own members and um and they uh, they came back and they said to us uh you know we we asked them to look at uh the change in their compliance cost uh, between uh, 2010 and 2014, since 2014 is the last full year uh, numbers they have, and uh, the the survey respondents reported a nearly 200% increase in total compliance costs during that four that four year wow. period. The per loan costs weren't quite as bad, but still they came in at a 125% increase for that for that uh, period. And uh, interestingly enough, and and those of you who work with independent lenders won't be surprised at this, our survey respondents also said they reported a 300% increase in compliance personnel uh, during uh, you know the period 2010 wow. to 2014. Yeah, so <laughs> that's that's very eye-catching for sure. And then the last thing, which frankly is just disappointing and and we we like to to stress this when when we make the point 
the same group of respondents reported uh, a 6% decline in uh, smaller balance loans. And we define smaller balance loans as those with a principal balance of less than 100000 So that 6% decline at a time when you know mortgage production volume was fairly strong was really disappointing and, and we think shows that uh, folks that should be getting credit and need credit to buy their first home, there's a number of them that are unfortunately being shut out of the market. Hi, Glenn. This is Alice. So glad to Hi, have Alice. you on the show. Um, so what does the future hold for independent lenders? Well, you know, it's 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 interesting. I think that... Um, uh, we're hoping, and and uh, my own personal view is, I think we're going to see uh, continued pressure on the compliance uh, cost front, but I really hope that the worst of the uh, jumps and the sharp increases are over, because uh, you know the CFPB has gotten most of its regulations under Dodd Frank. They've gotten them out. They're going to continue to you know tweak them, refine them, there'll be enforcement actions, etc. But the massive wave of brand new regulations that we've seen, I hope really is going to end with this TRID regulation on uh, on August 1. Um, so so I think that's, that's a, a plus. There's also a possibility of some regulatory relief from the Congress. There's certainly a lot of talk on both the Democratic side and the Republican side in, in both houses of Congress about trying to do something to uh, try and grant community-based lenders some regulatory relief. So uh, we're, we're optimistic. Uh, we're optimistic on that score. But the big thing, of course, is going to be what's going to happen to Fannie and Freddie. You know, the, uh, oh, yeah. the leveling of the playing field was a plus uh, in terms of the guarantee fee. But what happens to Fannie and Freddie in the, in the future uh, is is really a huge factor for independent lenders. When you see the future of Fannie Mae, and Andy and uh, Joe and Alice jump in with I mean, just uh, any questions you have in this whole area, because this really starts getting to the heart of where things are at. Let's discuss well, let's. Are you thinking through various scenarios? Every time you have a trade association of your nature, there's a certain element of a think tank that's going on, whether formalized or non-formalized. What What are your thoughts on that? How and how are you? What are you doing behind the scenes? And, and I know a lot of what you're doing is in conjunction with the MBA, uh, which again applaud you for. Um, what are you doing? And what do you see as the future there? I mean, and, and I know you can't predict, so there's no not asking you to give any predictions. But what are some of the options, and can you assign any probability to any of the to these? Yeah, I, I yeah, I can lay out the options. I I'm a little hesitant about the the probability, but I'll I'll take a stab. I I think I, I what I think is it's been so interesting in the time that I've been working with small lenders. Um, the, we've really seen a, a change in the sense that uh, five or six years ago, um, when when the mortgage market was just starting its recovery and and mm-hmm. midsize and smaller lenders were doing very well in the refinance business, you, you, I'm sure you all remember this. Uh, there, the emphasis was on production, and you rarely came across, uh, especially the smaller lenders, that retained any servicing at all. Now, it's a completely different story. Now, uh, it, uh, it's uh, not at all uncommon to come across even small lenders that are looking to retain some uh, servicing rights because they see that they can build the value in their company and that it grants them a level of you know, a greater level of financial stability, which is so important for small businesses. And so from and and coupled with that is we've also noticed and, and I'm I'm sure all of you have seen this, that subservicers have gotten a lot better. And there's a greater yes. a greater array of very affordable and very efficient subservicers out there that are very anxious, frankly, to compete for the business of these mid-sized and smaller lenders. So those factors have come together very nicely. I really think that's that's a key thing for mid-sized and smaller lenders, is that ability to build a servicing portfolio 
that will grant them a greater level of financial stability than you have with a purely production company. Because as you all know, when you have a purely production company, you have no insulation at all to the swings in the cycle. And at least with uh, with a servicing portfolio, you, you start to gain some more stability and a bit more control over your financial life. I think you, you hit on something there is the cycles. And it, it looks like the advantage is swinging. The pendulum is swinging back in an advantage to the independent mortgage bankers, the community-based mortgage lenders. And um, remind me to come back to the word community because I want to talk to you. You work with companies more than just serving one community. They're serving multiple communities. So I want to come back and uh, set that, kind of clarify that. But let's talk about that. You and I and Many of us on this call have been in this industry for multiple decades, four decades for me. I think you're right at four or or, or even more at the four-decade mark yourself. Let's talk about where you see – describe for those that are new to the industry the the pendulum swing. How has it swung over the last decades, Glenn? Give a little history lesson for those that are new to the, newer to the industry. Ah. Okay, well, you, you, you're going to make me sound as old as I am then, <laughs> which is fine, yeah. which is fine. Uh, you, you know, Dave, back back when uh, you and I first met in the in the mid 1980s, you you recall this, I'm sure, that uh, yeah. independent mortgage bankers were a, a big force in the residential uh, marketplace, and frankly, the bank-owned companies weren't as much of uh, of a force. You did have the savings and loans, which which are you mm-hmm. know, have by and large gone uh, gone uh, gone across the boards now, but you know bank owned companies were not quite as big, and you had Lomas and Nettleton, for example, a name uh, from the past that was a classic independent mortgage oh, banker, yeah. and uh, and and many others, and uh, as as banks got uh, bigger in the business, especially throughout the 1990s. You saw independent mortgage uh, mortgage uh, lenders, both community banks and uh, and independent mortgage bankers, kind of get forced to the sidelines and focusing largely on production and less on loan servicing. And interestingly enough, now the pendulum seems to be coming back uh, in in terms of independent uh, lenders now uh, accumulating servicing rights. And um, and uh, you know so uh, the, that's that's a positive development. Part of that, of course, is during the 1990s, you had uh, Fannie and Freddie uh, starting to grant and eventually working, uh, you know, sophisticated programs to grant big concessions in the guarantee fee to the largest lenders in the country, and in turn, those large lenders use that pricing advantage to begin buying loans on a correspondent basis from many of these independent community lenders that we're talking about. And unfortunately, uh, almost always, those sales were made servicing released. So uh, again, uh, the uh, the economics were such that uh, it didn't make sense to accumulate servicing rights when uh, your, your major outlets wanted to buy those loans servicing released. And of course, that pricing advantage then gave uh, a, a big, uh, big right. boost to the bank lenders, who built up massive servicing portfolios. Now, with the regulatory action and the various litigation and everything, the banks are seeing the downside of building up big servicing portfolios, and they're moving away from it. Yeah, it's really, it's really interesting to see how that hall has shifted around quite a bit. You talked about the cost of regulation. I want Alice to jump in on this because I have a question for you as far as um, of the members. We want to come back. We want to save a few minutes at the end to talk about who your membership is comprised of, banks versus independent mortgage banking companies. I want to have a few minutes for that. But, Alice, you know, we talked about how many companies are really prepared for this and, and then get Andy's comments after yours, Alice's. But, you know, any questions you have for Glenn specific to preparedness and the trends that you're seeing in comparing notes with Glenn's uh, customer group or his membership base? I caught Alice on the mute button again, so I'm so <laughs> sorry for not giving you a better heads up on that, Alice. I'm sorry about that. Are you still there, Alice? Well, I, I just looking at the switchboard, it looks like we may have lost Alice from the switchboard, Glenn. So, Glenn, Andy and I were talking about that. Uh, she may have um, – Alice dropped somehow. Anyway, 
Not sure of that. I apologize. That. But Andy and I were talking about this, so we could shift over to Andy on this point. How many of your customers are really, do you really feel that are ready for for TRID and all the other regulations, just generally speaking? And then I'm going to toss it to Andy. Well, you know, it, it, it's interesting. Uh, I um, uh, about uh, About six months ago, uh, our group formed uh, a compliance council, and it's essentially composed of the chief compliance person for uh, member companies. And we we get on a conference call once every three weeks, and we talk about TRID preparedness. We talk about the latest uh, regulator enforcement actions, et cetera. In terms of TRID preparedness, a couple of things there. The first thing is that I think that the home offices of the companies are well on the track to getting ready. I think where they've really got to put in time and effort now, between now and August 1, is in the branch offices, particularly with the frontline sales personnel, making them understand how this is going to affect what they do on a day-to-day basis and the adjustments they're going to need to, to make. Uh, for a for a loan officer, it's not going to be just a question of, gosh, I've got a couple of different forms to hand out. You really have to understand how it impacts the way that you normally will originate and then push a loan to closing and making sure that you're doing things in the proper sequence so that you can actually achieve that closing and won't get hung up on uh, on a disclosure that isn't made or isn't made properly. Andy, your thoughts? You would, you know, your observations and any questions around those? Well, this is a little bit taking it off in a different direction, just just slightly. But you mentioned a few minutes ago, Glenn, about the savings and loans and the role they played in mortgage finance for years and years and years. I mean, they were the dominant lender in many markets, and then they went away in the 80s. And we're seeing community banks <clears throat> uh, not do mortgage very well, and we're seeing in small independent mortgage bankers not do compliance very well. <clears throat> so do you, do you see an opportunity for the, the compliance preparedness that community banks have, but often not the best at mortgage lending, and the independent mortgage bankers who are good at mortgage lending, but not the best at compliance, is an opportunity to, to come together and, and kind of re-energize what was the savings loan business with community bank depository lender-based mortgage lending? You know, Andy, I think I think there definitely is an opportunity there, and I certainly have seen and talked with and worked with uh, independent mortgage bankers who have sort of spotted that opportunity and are really um, using their expertise on the origination side to be able to offer a, a very cost-effective way for a community bank to be able to uh, build its uh, its uh, loan portfolio without having to worry about uh, all of the front-end origination. And, of course, there's got to be a lot of trust there because the, the community bank has to be assured that the uh, mortgage company will originate to their standards, so to speak, and they'll be acquiring what should be a good uh, quality loan asset and uh, on the other hand, of course, the, the mortgage bank has to be assured that if they uh, originate a good quality asset, that they have an outlet for it. Because uh, oftentimes what they'll originate for a community bank may not be saleable to Fannie or Freddie for whatever reason that the community bank has chosen to, uh, you know, um, uh, perhaps do some things in a slightly different way than, than the GSEs will accept. So um, I think there's a definite opportunity there, um, and, and it might work out very well for both parties. It gives the uh, independent mortgage bank another outlet for their product, and it gives the community bank the opportunity to continue to serve their customers on the mortgage front without having to, uh, without having to maintain a, an origination apparatus. Right, exactly, and it would give the independent mortgage bankers the cash flow to be able to retain the servicing. As well, so it would, in these kind of hybrids, the, the back to the future notion of the savings and loans, would you would you see this new hybrid organization uh, becoming potentially part of your group since they're 
you know, they're not the big players, and they're focusing on mortgage, but they they need a uh, sounding board. Uh, yeah, I could because you know, interestingly enough, and and this gets to something that Dave had uh, had mentioned earlier. Uh, we have about 60 members, and of the 60, uh, uh, roughly about 15 or 16 are community banks. Uh, some of them originate for their own portfolio. Others, others of them, interestingly enough, operate just like mortgage bankers in the mortgage uh, area, of course, where they originate and then they sell the loan off and they may or may not retain the servicing, but they sell 100% of what they originate whereas several of the other uh, community banks in our group do the more traditional model of they originate and then retain the loan in their own portfolio. But I could definitely see that uh, a a hybrid organization like we've just been talking about would feel very comfortable in our group because in the end, our group is composed of mid-size and small mortgage lenders that uh, focus exclusively on residential mortgage lending. So, for instance, within the community bank, we won't normally have the president of the community bank who's the active member with us. Instead, it'll be the head of the mortgage section or the head of the mortgage division, or oftentimes it's a mortgage company that's a wholly owned sub of the community bank, and then we have the head of the mortgage company that is uh, that is active in our group. Very good. Joe, Very I, good. Well, I agree with you. Yeah. Go ahead, go ahead, Andy. Finish your thought. I'm sorry. I agree with you, Glenn. And I think it's a, I think it's a great, I think it's a trend, and I think it's going to be continuing to expand. And I think it's, it's awesome that you help um, these hybrids, let's call them, become uh, more proficient by being part of your group. And, and actually, the, sin, the trend that, that we're seeing is uh, independent community banks being more active in secondary marketing activity. Actually, yeah. you know, act like a mortgage bank, but uh, operate under a bank charter. Because you get the cash flows and you get the regulatory compliance, and you, there's just a lot of benefits. You get out from under the CFPB initially. So um, anyway, back to you, Dave. Plus, yeah, Joe, I wanted to let you to fit in one more question here before we uh, uh, have to run to the door here. Headed, the headed to where you want to go, which is, um, you know, you mentioned the the council on. Uh, uh, compliance and I can only imagine yes. that would pay. I don't know what they what the, what a member pays to be a member in your organization, but the, to be able to bounce ideas off. How many times have you read something and said and you'd say, well, that couldn't possibly mean what it says, and and and, <laughs> and you get and you get the ability to bounce ideas off of people and hear different uh, perspectives on on having read the same thing and and how they might be able to. Uh, make it fit within their their uh, workflow, but what other kinds of things, Glenn? Do do the members of your organization get from besides that collaborative thing? Uh, what do they get from uh, your membership? Oh well, wh- what they get from our membership is uh, a couple of different things. The the big emphasis for us is on uh, activity in Washington, both uh, congressional lobbying and then lobbying with the uh, with the regulatory agencies. And uh, we we offer a once a month uh, seminar on some business and or regulatory topic. We have the compliance council that I mentioned, and then once a year we bring the uh, the members into Washington and uh, s- set them up uh, in visits with their senators and uh, representatives to be able to carry the message directly to them. Uh, one thing we just did, as a matter of fact, I'll just take a few seconds for this, is uh, we had our conference just a couple of weeks ago, and for the first time, we did it in conjunction with the uh, realtors. The realtors have an affiliated mm. lenders group, and uh, so we combined forces and held a joint mortgage conference. We went up on the hill. We heard from regulators and, and folks like that. So that's what people get from uh, from our association, Joe. Some great stuff, and you, if you want to learn how to join this organization, the Community Mortgage Lenders Association, uh, Glenn, would it be the best thing for them to do to contact you directly? Contact me directly. It's uh, G Corso, C-O-R-S-O, at thecmla.com, and then the uh, website is www.thecmla.com. Excellent. Well, John, Clint, so good to have you join us. And uh, sorry again for the static on the line during part of the broadcast here, but it's really good to have you here. And 
give us an update of what's going on. This is definitely a good time to be in the mortgage independent mortgage banking world, whether you're a community bank or an independent non-depository base. It's a great time, and um, I encourage you to get a hold of Glenn. Not only will he help you through the issues, but he'll walk you through the path of becoming um, a good independent mortgage banker. Glenn, thank you so much for taking time out of your day inside the Beltway, which is an insane world, uh, to join us today. Thank you. Well, thank you too, Dave. I really appreciated it, and uh, thanks for the opportunity. You bet. Appreciate it much. Uh, let's draw and jump over to Joe. I'm looking at your screen, Joe, as we go to the broad, end of the broadcast here. But uh, what's the markets doing and why? Are you saying that? Uh, Joe? Joe, Joe, Joe. I'm looking at it. Anyway, yeah, back here. to neutral. I think yeah, yeah, back, to, out back there. to zero. Uh, yeah, back to zero. So we can see this thing shifting ahead possibly. Based on their current trend, we'll see this thing could shift back into some negative territory on the price side. So good to have you with us, everybody. Appreciate you tuning in. Next week, we've got back by popular demand, and I mean by a lot of popular demand. We have Les Parker coming back. He's going to be talking about Asia and how the impact that that could have. And then the week after that, we have our very good friend, uh, Mitch Kiter, coming back on to talk about some of the latest regulatory stuff. He's got an interesting case he's working on. He says, let me come on on this particular date, and I believe it's the 29th, and he's going to be here with us. I'm very excited about having him on with us. Yes, it'll be the 29th. So next week, we have our good friend, Les Parker, back, and then Mitch Kreider. Good to have you with us, everybody. Have a great week, and see you back here next week. This has been Lincoln on Lending, a weekly mortgage market update with your host, David Lincoln of Mortgage Banking Solutions, enabling executives to take their business to the next level. Today's guests were Joe Farr from MBS Line, Andy Shell of Mortgage Banking Solutions, and Alice Alvey, President CMB of Mortgage U. Come by next week and thank you for listening. 